have stumbled onto another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. I hope you enjoyed meeting Jay Lucky Henry in our last episode and that you're as excited as I am to welcome him back for part two. But before we hear from him, I just want to talk about the coronavirus. I have not been anywhere in the past week where people have not been talking about and worrying about the freaking coronavirus. And yeah, okay, the media has really got everyone hyped up about it. But let's just put things into perspective, okay? If you're healthy, your chances of dying from the coronavirus are pretty much nil, okay? On the other hand, more than 1,100 people die every single day from tobacco-related disease, more than 1,000 from being overweight or obese, and over 100 people are going to die today in traffic accidents. (laughs) Since the coronavirus came to the U.S., there have been exactly 15 deaths. 15. Okay, so get a grip on yourself and start worrying about secondhand smoke and start driving more safely and stop obsessing about the freaking coronavirus. Okay, (laughs) that's my rant for the day. And now, welcome back, Lucky. Let's assume that someone listening is not really that familiar with wholesaling and doesn't Mm -hmm. totally understand how it all works. Mm -hmm. When you explain it, like, as if you're explaining it to a child, like, really basics because I think that a lot of us start at the middle you know what I mean we say how do you get into wholesaling well how about we talk about what it actually is and how it mm-hmm. works mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so if I were explaining it to a child right I would say okay you have a, a puzzle right this puzzle has a thousand pieces to it okay it's in kind of okay condition it's kind of you know it's got some stains on it and whatever, a little bit, a little worn. And on top of that, he's missing, he's missing. you're missing, I would say you're missing about 10 pieces, right? <laughs> 10 little pieces. Now that puzzle's worth a hundred dollars, but because it, when it's brand new in the box package, but because you've dirtied it up, stained it and missing 10 pieces, you're not going to get a hundred dollars for it. Yeah. You need some money right now because you are about to move across the country. Right, you're moving. Well, no, you're a child. Sorry, let me back up. You're a child. <laughs> it's your little brother's birthday, and you need money right now to to buy him a gift because last year you didn't get him a gift, and your mom is gonna be upset at you if you don't buy your little brother a gift this year. <laughs> so you need you need some income. So you're gonna sell your puzzle. Now, your uh, your friend comes over, right? Your friend's name's Lucky. Let's go with Lucky since that's me. All right, I come over. Lucky. Yeah, let's say your friend's Lucky, and I come over and say, hey, you're like, hey, um, can you help me sell this puzzle? Um, or do you know anybody looking to buy a puzzle, this puzzle? And I'm, I look at the puzzle. I realize that if it was in good condition, it's worth a hundred bucks. I'll look up on Amazon or whatever and see like, I could replace those puzzle pieces for like five bucks. And there's a stain remover, this product called puzzle stain remover. And that costs 10 bucks. So, all right, 15 bucks. Plus I got to spend the time wiping it down. And I ask you, well, you know, how much money do you want for it? And you're like, well, all I need is 20 bucks. I just got to buy my brother something. And I'm, I'm over this puzzle. I don't want it anymore anyway. I say 20 bucks and 20 bucks, that's it? Okay. So now I do the math. 20 bucks plus the 15 I need to spend, that's only 35. It's not going to be worth $100 because it's not a brand new one, but it's got to be worth at least 90 or 80, right? So, okay. So if I, had, if I offer you 20 bucks, you'll say yes. Now I just got to find someone that'll give me like $40 because I'll tell them, hey, look, you, you can buy this for 40, spend 15 bucks on it, 
and it'll be worth $90, right? So now I find someone that, another kid, an older kid who's willing to buy that puzzle, someone who's a reclusive probably, who wants to spend time, you know, wiping stuff down on their own and like not talking to people, right? Someone who's okay with that, I find them and they'll say, yeah, I'll pay you $40 for that. So the double closes, I take the $40 and I say, oh, yep, give me the money, I'll bring you the puzzle tomorrow. I go over to my friend and I say, here's 20 bucks you needed, right? Can I have the puzzle? They say, sure. And I take it, I give the puzzle to the person who gave me the $40 and I put $20 in my pocket because I'm a wholesaler and I just made $20. And so. you never actually owned the puzzle. You never actually owned the puzzle. Brought the yep, parties just together. Yes. Yeah. In a real, because in real estate, I wouldn't actually pick up the house and bring it. It would be more <laughs> papers. So I never would actually own it. But um, yes, in theory, I, yeah. Because even when I carried the puzzle, I technically never owned it. The person already gave me money for it. I was just transporting it to them. Right. It was in my possession, but I never owned it. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. That was an excellent ex- description. Thank you very much. Take that <laughs> out and you. do a blog about it. You know, like yeah, like full blog the puzzle. Let me the explain. <laughs> so now, how did you get to be? What made you decide to do like rap and real estate stuff? Oh, that's a great question. Um, besides, you know, trying to be different and like super <laughs> out there. Um, there's a lot of things that contributed to it. One, I, I can rap, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm no like 50 Cent or Jay-Z, but I can rap, right? And so I actually used to be in a rap group when I was younger, like probably most young kids who kind of have some flow, try it out at some point. And so when I started, I was like, okay, I like marketing. I could get myself out there. But then when I really got into it was because I wanted to share some of the information that I knew that some people didn't have access to, mm-hmm. right? And I realized that there are a lot of, like me when I was younger, I had a little bit of ambition and hunger. So it kind of like drove me. Like I had the balls to walk up to someone with a nice car and say, what do you do? You clearly make money. Like, tell me how you make this money. And a lot of people might not do that. That's kind of awkward, kind of weird, right? Um, but I did. And I said, what if I didn't have that? How would I get this information? Like I, would, I wouldn't have got it because what was I doing? I was listening to, listening to rap music, playing video games, like playing sports. So I said, how can I get this information to someone who wants it but isn't going to go up to that person and ask them for it. And I said, if I put it in a rap song and make it entertaining, maybe they'll pay attention to that and listen to it. So I started rapping um, about different topics, rent control, um, how to build equity and properties. Um, There's a song I have coming out about how to flip um, the, it's called the recipe to flipping, right? Um, It's done to the remix to Ignition by R. Kelly. So (laughs) not not that I like what it happened. I just like the song. (laughs) Um, But so that's what kind of made me start. And then, some people responded positive to it. They're like, these are hilarious. They're so funny. They're this and that. And then I, I was like, I should just keep doing this. Like, it's not a very common thing. Um, some real estate agents have made some rap songs. Like, but I was like, I should really just keep doing it because I enjoy it. One, that's what right. I have fun doing it. Yeah. And second, it's a great differentiating factor, right? People finish to it. So. Yeah, I thought it was great. I watched a couple of them and I actually sparked a conversation this morning. Um, you know, uh, I, I live across the street from the beach so every morning I go and walk the beach. So this morning, um, my boyfriend came with me and we had a big conversation about, you know, gentrification and what does it all mean? And, you know, is it good or bad? And, you know, mm-hmm. you spark this. And it was because of your song. Because I was oh, saying, oh, I'm you. really looking forward to talking to this guy today. He's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I actually um, was just invited to speak on a panel um, to a bunch of uh, middle schoolers about oh, yeah? different topics. And they brought up the song and they want to talk about 
gentrification and is it good? It's same exact way. Is it good? Is it bad? How do you do this? How do you do that? And um, I mean, I don't have the answer for everyone, but I look at it and I say gentrification is just a thing. It's not like good or bad. A hammer is just a thing. It's just a something that happens. What What's bad is when one group of people is forced to move out, right? Or constantly move because they can't afford to be somewhere um, or because rules change or et cetera. And my my hope and my thought and my belief is that if you live in a neighborhood for generations on generations, right? Like you feel like this is your neighborhood, but you don't actually own it on paper, right? right? Then, then it can be, you, it can be gentrified. It will be gentrified. Every neighborhood's going to be gentrified. Because gentrified just means like increasing it from this class to this class. That's always going to be going to happen, right? Yeah. But what you don't want to happen is you don't want displacement to happen. You don't want, as this happens, the people who've been there can't afford to stay there, right? So in order for that not to happen, you need to get ownership mentality, right? That's it. Because exactly. I live in I live in JP right now, and yeah. one JP is gentrifying for sure, right? To make a play in Boston. Yeah. However. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of parts in Jamaica Plain that are not gen, that are not getting displaced because there are a lot of people that actually do own here who've been here for a while and they're like, I'm not selling. I don't care if you put like these new businesses around that this and that. Like I'm staying here, and if I do move, you're not you're gonna pay what my house is worth. You're not gonna exactly. lowball me and just get me out of here. Exactly. So, and that's it. You know, you you don't. I had this. I actually was attacked by someone. You know, just verbally, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I was like, you're looking good. You probably took care of them. Yeah, yeah you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, she, you know, I, it, I, I'm in this investment club and they're from, they're all over the country. And this one woman said, you know, when she found out I was from Boston, she was like, you know, oh, you know, Boston is like, you know, you're getting rid of all the people who are interesting, who make the, you know, make the city, yeah. give it its heart and soul and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. I said, just the renters, you know what I mean? The people who own in these neighborhoods, you know, cause she, she was originally, she um, had grown up in, in uh, Dorchester and she's yeah. like, you know, Oh, you know, Dorchester is being destroyed and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. blah. I'm like, I know people who own property in Dorchester and they are happy. <laughs> they are really yeah. happy. Like, yes, you, know, exactly. yeah. you know, that same friend of mine who's originally from the Caribbean, he's, he owns like five properties there. And he's just like, mm-hmm. you know, dude i'm a happy camper (laughs) you know he's watching his properties double and triple in value that's Mm -hmm. a good thing for him you know i mean is he now going to be able to rent to people who have more money yeah and that raises the value of his property as well so you know there's a lot of different ways to look at it i definitely am against the whole you know when when communities just become sort of generic right they've got every stupid mm-hmm. chain store and every the mom and pop shops go and there's just all yeah. this crap around and it looks like any other town you could be in that i don't like you want to be able mm-hmm. to maintain that soul the thing that made anybody want to live there in the first place you know exactly yeah but in order to do that like you say people have to own their they have to own it you, you mm-hmm. gotta own it you gotta yeah. you, that's how you can control your destiny is that you 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 buy it <laughs> exactly exactly if you own it like and that's so, I mean, that's so true. If you, if all, and this is not a knock on people who can't afford to live there at all, because the, that's a whole, that's a, not a whole nother conversation. I actually hate that saying. That's a, an important conversation adjacent to this one that needs to happen okay. is about how the access or the, the pathway to home ownership, the availability of it. However, if, if the renters were homeowners, like you said, they would love gentrification, right? Because it increases their net worth, right? As it goes up. However, if you're not a homeowner, it's annoying because you got to pay more rent. And if you, right, so 
the the other thing that I talk about and rap about in some songs is about and the what the the buy-in group is also about is about teaching how you can get access to home ownership because even in certain areas like a lot of people um this is just off the top of my head i'm thinking about this one right now i know it's not boston but lawrence massachusetts for example they they will help you buy a house multifamily, single family with no money down and horrible credit and it's a it's a process it takes a little bit of time i think it's naca that does it but it's like you can have like below 600 credit score and still be putting no money down and still get into a home like they are and if you don't know about that, you just think, oh, it's too expensive to live. I can't live here, right? People, it's just uh, imp- incredible. But there are opportunities and ways to become a homeowner. You just, like you said earlier in the, in the beginning, and something people talk about a lot is get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Step out of your comfort zone, look at different things. And just because you've always rented doesn't mean you need to rent forever. Right. And I'm not against renting at all. Like my, So my, my personal goal right now, I'm not looking to buy something in Boston right now. Right. I'm looking to buy properties like outside of Boston that cash flow really well. And I'm looking to keep renting in Boston because where I want to live is I want to live top floor penthouse, like full amenity building. So I'm not going to buy a $15 million condo next year, but I can rent one maybe. Right. And I'm okay with that. I will pay the rent to be there because that's what I want, but the rent will be paid for by the cash flowing properties in the less sexy neighborhoods that I buy in. So. You bring up a good point that I think holds a lot of people back, and that's credit score. I mean, if you're not intentional about having a good credit score, you probably don't have one. You know what I mean? If you're not looking at it, if you're not finding if there's wrong things on there, if you got, you know, I see people that come in and the stuff that's holding them back, that's giving them lousy credit, is a, you know, a Verizon bill from 10 years ago that they just never got around to paying. You know, it's just like take control of your, you know, of your stuff. You know, it's being intentional. It's yep. just, this is what I want. And I know I'm going to get it. What do I need to do? What are the steps I need to take in order to get mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I see that a lot in the same communities that are being put out of, you know, I have to leave because I have, you know, my, I'm getting priced out of this neighborhood. Well, mm-hmm. you know, when you moved here, <laughs> yep. you could have bought at that time, yep. right? And you, yes. your property would have tripled in value and you'd be in a whole nother place, but you mm-hmm. couldn't because you just, didn't have your mindset in the right place. You weren't thinking, okay, what, what, what steps do I need to take? Oh, I need to pay this $53 Verizon bill. I need to, right? I mean, just, and Absolutely. that's just education. And that's, and that's the thing. And I mean, maybe 40, 50 years ago, there was a lack of access to this education. And even now there's definitely a difference in school systems um, between different urban communities and suburban communities on how like good the school systems are. There's definitely differences. But, yeah, but no school system is going to teach you how to be a real estate investor. Exactly. <laughs> That's not the information you're going to get. And we all have access to the internet right now. So it's, if you, all you have to do, like I said, I got the nugget of, I started wholesaling and that's all it took for me to go up and go down the rabbit hole of what is wholesaling. And that leads to me starting wholesaling. That leads to me and my family having a discussion and us buying a multifamily. And that leads to me being a real estate agent now. And like, but having the, the drive and to say like, all right, I'm going to look up this stuff. Like, even if you just go onto Google, honestly, and you just type in like how to be rich, like yeah, just start with exactly. most basic question. It's going to lead you to real estate. It's going yeah. to lead you to real estate, and then you're going to follow that rabbit hole, and then you're going to start asking questions like, how do I buy a house? How do I buy this? And that's kind of why I made a video a day, every day in that one year when I first started, and it's 365 videos about the most basic, generic things like 
how to how to make a good offer, how to buy a house. Like, can you buy a house on Section Eight? Like, you can. Like, that's literally you can. actually there's programs, there's special programs. Yep. Absolutely. So it is absolutely possible, and I think that that's how. I mean, for me, that's how gentrification. That's one step in the direction of solving gentrification yeah. is getting the information. Well, not let me say work the back. Not solving gentrification, solving the ramifications of gentrification, like displacement. The negative ramifications, the displacement of people and the, you know, the boringness of creating a boring community. The boringness. All the good people got, all the people with anything interesting to say got kicked Mm -hmm. out. (laughs) Yep, yep, for sure, for sure. Last year, uh, Wells Fargo was giving away $20,000 grants. The Lyft program, yeah. Yep, all you had to do was stay in the house five years, that's it, you know, and you get the money, you don't have to pay it back. I couldn't give that money away. Yep. You know, I mean, there, people just couldn't, I don't know, they couldn't find a place or they couldn't just get themselves motivated. As you were trying to help people away. broker into the, like as a broker, you're trying to help people buy with that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, you know, it, it, and they said to me, oh, we're going to have this, you know, they're like their day when everybody comes in and learns about the program and you have to get registered and all that kind of stuff. We're going to mm-hmm. have that day. We limit it to X number of people, but we guarantee you that at least 60% of that money won't get claimed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And that, you know, so I remember that program too, and I was looking to get some people on it as well. And it's, it's so fascinating that how much fear controls people because in, in the conversations I had with potential clients, five years, what if I want to move in three years, right? Then I owe that money. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what if you don't move and you just keep paying rent for like for the next couple of years? Like <laughs> what that, that was what held some of them back and yeah. talking. I did my best to talk them off the ledge and, you know, explain to them. And we actually, I got some of them to apply and the deadline actually, like it took so long to convince them that, uh, what if five years from now they want to move? Let's cross that bridge when we get there. First. Second of all, yeah. like it's okay. You sell the house. Cool. Like you, you'll be all right. It's better. Yeah. You're still in a better situation than if you rent for the next five years, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. I know it's yeah. it's a shame. It's really a shame. I just, you know, want, you want to like shake people, like, come on, you know, just, ah. but everybody's different, right? If they weren't, yes. then there wouldn't be any opportunity for any people like us. <laughs> that's true. No, that's very true. And that's, that's the, um, I think that's my, so as a, as an agent and an investor, you see both sides, right? You see like, I want to help my clients get the best deal when they're buying investment properties, which means pay the lowest price. Yeah. But then if I'm on yeah. the other side and I'm helping the person like from a wholesale position or as an, I'm like, wow, we got to get you the highest price. Like, get like, and I feel like, wow, like some, I'm like, am I a hypocrite? No, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm just helping both sides. Like, like I have these internal conversations and struggles with myself about it too. Right. And I've talked to people, I've helped people, make decisions to sell properties when I'm working for the person buying it at a price that I'm thinking like she could have, they could make another 50 grand here, another 20 grand, yeah. but at, I'm signed to the, to the guy buying it, to the guy or girl who's buying it. So right. I don't, and I'm just thinking like, I wish you had the information to know that you could bump your price up by 20 grand. This person would still make a profit and you guys could be good. Um, so, but that fear that I was talking about is, is there like for all of us like i'm sure there are things you get scared of doing like when you buy your first investment property and put x amount of dollars down and you're like okay my money is out there like my money's working i'm, I'm kind of nervous what if it doesn't work like you have fear i have fear and but the ability to actually just face that fear is what i feel like holds a lot of them 
a lot of people back from a lot of things in life, but specifically when we're talking about real estate and owning, whether that's fear of like, oh, what if I, I feel like a lot of people think the biggest thing I hear about people who have a lack of education about real estate is they're afraid that to buy because they don't know where they're going to be in five years. And for some reason in their brain, that automatically equates to if I move, I have to sell this property and I don't want right. to buy it. Just to sell exactly. In exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's it. You don't have to sell it. You just, mm-hmm. you know, own something else, you know, I don't know. Uh, and then, then it's, I don't want to be a landlord because my uncle told me one time he owned a property and the toilet broke. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that happens. The toilet might break at 2 a.m., right? Yeah, <laughs> there's that, a property, there's a pro- thing called property management. You know what? <laughs> I know. Yep. I know. I, I, I remember a conversation I had with this girl. She had been in that situation. Her grandfather had owned a bunch of property, like three or four units. And he wasn't the kind of guy to like force people to pay. So he's paying all this mortgage and, you know, the people aren't paying their rent and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm like, so does that, that mean you have to do the same thing? You can't hire a property manager? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. I don't so. know. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's also what you're afraid of. Yeah. I used to, before I ever did real estate or anything, I, uh, I used to own an import company. And so I would what? try an import. Oh, import. Yeah. Import stuff from overseas. Yeah. So, you know, I would basically travel the world, different places and, and buy stuff and whatever. And people say, oh, aren't you afraid to travel alone and do, you know, mm-hmm. do all this stuff? I'm like, you know, what? I'm more afraid to like wake up in my bed at 95 years old and think I didn't do a friggin' thing my whole life. You know, that is my fear that I'm, I'm way, I'm a FOMO, you know what I mean? Like I'm way more afraid of missing out on something than I am about doing it. So I guess that's, you know, where we differ, right? That's where where you and I are different from the, a lot of the planet. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like I, that is a very, very good point to bring up. Like, what are you afraid of? Because I'm, I'm afraid of that, looking back at life and being like, oh, I regret this. But you know what's funny? A lot of people are also that way, but they're that way about different things. The same people, the same person might say, oh, don't get that tattoo there. What about when you're 80? You're going to look back and regret that tattoo. But they, but they won't buy a property, right, knowing that, hey, if I don't take this chance, I might look back when I'm 80 and regret that I didn't take the chance. Right. So they already have that framework. They just apply it in like the opposite way the, the wrong way i'm like who cares about this tattoo i'm like at 80 and like at 80 i might think it's a stupid tattoo but guess what i'm also 80 like i don't care I, gotta have a I can do what i want like at 80 if i have a tattoo, stupid tattoo on my arm like so what right, right. people don't like it you know what <laughs> i'll say something away, that 80 year old right? can get away with <laughs> you know it's funny i took a lot of grief from people i don't even know if you can tell on the tv but i let my hair go gray and that was like a big deal for people. People were like, oh, I can't believe, you know, you're going to let it grow and it's gray and, you know, it makes you look older. When it's like, I am older. What the hell? You, know? <laughs> you don't like it? Look away. You know, I mean, I really yep. can't be bothered with this color of my hair every five minutes. You know, it's like, I, it's okay. It's okay for if sure. I look older. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is huge, huge. And a good book, honestly, about the topic of fear since we talked about it so much. Have you ever read, you know who Robert Greene is, 48 Laws of Power? Artist? No. Okay, so Robert Greene is a, an author. He wrote his popular books of 48 Laws of Power, Art of Seduction, Mastery. Those are like some of his popular books. Yeah. But he co-wrote a book with the rapper 50 Cent, the rapper, the entrepreneur. I got to stop. I got to intentionally stop calling him a rapper because he's way more than just a rapper. He's an entrepreneur, TV producer, film producer, actor, record label owner. So 
Curtis Jackson um, and Robert Greene co-wrote the book called The 50th Law. And it's all about the concept of fear. And they talk a lot about 50 Cent's upbringing and how he had to learn to not show fear in the environment he was growing up in. And he couldn't be as scared of small things, right? And when he's dealing with life-threatening situations at an early age, that really molded him into a really good businessman because he's not afraid of little risk. Like, who cares if he gets cleaned out for $10 million? Like, he's like, I could have died when I was 12, right? When, like, gang violence or something. Like, I'm not worried about this. I'll take the chance and I'll do it. And it's not to say, like, you got to be reckless, right? You definitely still, you know, are calculated and stuff. But when you when the numbers make sense, take the chance. Like, if you have a shot, you you have a shot of winning, you can't take the shot. Like, you got to, and you, it comes down to, like, setting your threshold. If I have a very high-risk threshold, if I look at it and it says 51% chance of being successful, 49% of failure, there's not even a question, like, I'm doing it. Like it could say like forty percent chance of success. I might still do it, right? I might still give it a shot. Well, because you know that you're not the average citizen, right? You know that you're above average. You know that you're gonna, you've got a better chance of making it work. I believe I'm like the bird, the fat bird on the on a small branch. I don't trust a branch to hold me up. I know that I can fly if the branch breaks, right? So the that's my threshold. But if you're more like risk averse, then set your threshold at eighty percent but always figure out how to make things quantitative so you can put it on paper and not go on your gut feeling. You can put it on paper, make the numbers make sense. And if it's above your threshold, then do it. If it's below your threshold, then don't. Yeah. Yeah. I I recently learned that when it comes to stock investing, like I was a complete failure with investing in stocks because I did that. Like I didn't know how to do it. So I was just like, Oh, this looks good. This looks good. You know, I didn't I like the color of their logo. You know what I did? I used to have this alphabet portfolio that were, all that, all the stocks that only had one letter in their name that I would just buy them, you know, like that is so stupid, you know? And it's not like I was so wealthy that I just couldn't figure out what to, how to get rid of my money fast enough. You know, I was just like a poor, you know, not that yeah, yeah. pretty poor person, you know, buying these stocks just willy nilly. And in recent years, I've, you know, joined this stock investment club and learned about analyzing stocks and, you look at it and you look at the facts and you see the information. You say, well, you know, yes, I started off this journey because I liked the company, but now yeah. it looks like it's actually a good stock to own. Okay. Or it isn't a good stock to own, you know, yeah. using Tesla analysis, you know, yeah. you, know you, can, you can make money in a week by owning Tesla, but are you going to, you know, make money in the long term? You know, <laughs> it depends on Elon Musk. That company hinges a lot on just one person. Exactly. He can sit by a car. It's all done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You smoke some weed on Joe, Joe Rogan podcast, you lose ten grand. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. Like you say, it, it, you know, you you set your parameters and then you stick with them. You don't say, oh, you know, I like the color of their logo. I'm going to go down this road. No, you you make your you tell you decide what your parameters are beforehand, so yeah. you can adjust the parameters to fit what you want to happen, and then you just. Exactly trust the process right and then if it's and then i think the hardest part is like um, we mentioned earlier like you try something it doesn't work you quit because it's not working or you try something have some success think it's a great idea like you make money in a week in tesla but then you is it really like a long-term strong solid strategy i think one of the things is too when you set those um parameters before you change the parameters change what you're doing to to funnel things into those parameters. So if your parameters are like really stringent for investment properties 
and you're like, man, none of these properties work. Change your lead source, right? If you're going on MLS looking for good deals, for example, you're not finding good deals that fit your profit margin, then stop going on MLS. Before you change your parameters, try to do cold, try to do cold calling, try to do mailers, try to do get deals from wholesale. Like try to different lead sources or different whatever you're using to funnel it in there before you change. Because when you made the parameters, you you most likely sat down, really thought it through, looked at what made sense for you on the back end. So it's and if you're building backwards, it makes sense to keep like this, you know what your end goal is. So then the next step, you know that that's the right next step. If it's not working, you got to change what's coming in here. Like these are the variables, not right. not your parameters and not your goal. Keep yeah. those like as a permanent. Yeah. yeah, the goals. I think that's a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of people do that. Like they set their goals, set the parameters. If they get to the parameter point, right? They at least set their goals. Doesn't work. Okay, maybe change my goal, right? And it's like, <laughs> no, your goal, your goal is fine. Like keep your goal. Change your, like start step by step. Get the parameters that work and then change what you're doing in, um, on the other end. Yeah. And that's um, one of the things that I've noticed in interviewing people for the podcast mm-hmm. is that a lot of them, you know, almost none of them were successful right out of the gate with whatever they chose to do. So yeah. many of them like, oh, I tried this thing and I lost my shirt. And, you know, and instead of saying, <laughs> well, I guess I'm just no real estate investor. They said, mm-hmm. I got to figure out how I can you know, what did I, what did I miss? Like, let me learn from this experience instead of just saying, forget it. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy in this week's podcast, the one that just went on live last night, he tried, first of all, he started in 2008 and he put in like 50 or 60 offers. They all got rejected. Mm-hmm. So it's like, now would you mm-hmm. even like, who would even get to 50 offers? Right. Yeah, you, just yeah, say, oh, that's man, exactly. you know, and, uh, and then once that, once he finally got a property and he lost his shirt on that, he said, and he didn't say, oh man, this is definitely, you know, the universe is telling me something. I just should not be a real estate investor. No, instead he invests money to take the fortune builders class and he just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until he succeeded, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. cause it depends on so many different things, but it's persistence, you know, this is Napoleon yeah. Hill talking, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Napoleon. <laughs> And I mean, you can look at it. Some people look at it like, you know, that's a sign for me to, to, to not do it. Like you said, the universe talking to me or, and yeah, you can interpret it that way. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know what signs look like the universe. The language the universe speaks to you is different than the language it speaks to me. Right. Mm-hmm. However, I know I look at situations like that and I see, okay, this was really hard to do and I'm still not succeeding at it. And I'm giving it a lot of my time and energy and like focus and I'm, I'm still not succeeding. I said, sometimes that excites me because not just because I'm weird and like the competitiveness of it, but um, it also excites me because I'm like, this is a high barrier to entry. Like I'm putting in this much work to it and I still can't figure this out yet. Please. When I figure it out, it's going to take people a lot of time to like catch up to me and like go. And they're going to need to be strong willed. Of course, there'll be some people that come by and get lucky and figure it out on their first try, but it's going to take a lot. So that means that's good. When I do get here, it's going to be rewarding. Right. Um, just like for internally, but it's going to be rewarding because I'm not going to have as much competition because a lot of people aren't going to make it to the side because yeah. it's hard to do. Yeah. yeah. That's an excellent, excellent way to look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, all right, if I just keep, if I just can break this thing and yeah. you, like you see, go back and say, all right, what can I do to make it easier? What can I do to do it better? What did I, what, you know, once I, once you have your first success, you can say, oh, okay. Now I mm-hmm. see how I could have done this differently. And then you just, you know, you knock it out of the park the next time, you know? Exactly. Exactly. 
it's a, I think it's the audio book I was listening to talking about um, how you incent people and how you get different results. So they mm -hmm. had these, um, it was Russian oil well drillers. They were doing like oil explore, exploration and they got, they, they paid the people by how many feet of drilling they did. So the guys just went and drilled a whole bunch of like one foot holes. Because <laughs> 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 that was what was easy. They, they just went along and they get, you know, paid great money because they were drilling all this all this footage, you know, whatever, yep. but they didn't ever actually find any oil because they weren't <laughs> drilling one big deep hole, you know? Yep, so, yep, so. yep. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. It's just kind of like, okay, let me think about this. <laughs> I'm putting out a lot less effort now, but the one hole I'm drilling is, you know, mm -hmm. giving me something back, you know? But Yeah. And that's, that's so, that's very true. I do like, a, I have a mastermind group with a couple of like millennials um and no we don't call it the millennial mastermind i know that name's <laughs> taken by someone else right but we um we get together we talk about different things we're all in different industries but that's one of the things we talk about too is like where you're putting the effort and focus right because we all have skill sets we all have abilities to do things and we may be doing a lot of work that keeps us busy right and using our skill set on something that's not bringing back the roi like yeah like you said like okay, you drilled 10,000 feet, 10,000 feet of footage or whatever, however you say that, um, versus in 10,000 different holes versus one hole 10,000 feet deep. And that one hole might not even get 10,000 feet deep because if you put all the energy there, it's harder in resistance, et cetera. And you might only be getting to like 4,000 feet, but that's what oil is maybe, right? Exactly. I don't know how deep oil is, right? I don't, but I don't, mean, I don't know anything about exploration, <laughs> but we, we get the analogy. Yep, yep. So, and... I think that when I when I talk to like like in this group, there's educators, artists, um, bunch of different people, and when I talk to them, sometimes for them it's real like eye opening. Wow, I've been spending my time with this skill set solely on customer service of the two clients I have, right? But that same skill set could be used to like attract new clients, but they don't consider themselves a salesperson, and they don't realize like it's all you gotta do is just tweak it a little bit. Like you don't have to go out and start selling, hey, it's $10,000 for my art. But the same conversations, the same way you build relationships with the two clients you have, you could start new relationships and keep doing that. And kind of like just tweaking, showing them how they can tweak their effort is huge. And then for me, what I find really helpful from them, to me, is how they go through their creative processes. Because sometimes I might have drilled a 4,000-foot hole, and I'm like, there's no oil here. What the heck? <laughs> like, oh, my God. And then they teach me how to be creative and say, why don't you – drill a little bit to the left right now. You're 4,000 feet deep. Instead of keep going straight down, just drill a little to the left. You'll only have to go 30 feet and you'll hit the oil. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Like, cause I'm so like- Right, think about it a thing. different way. Exactly. And yeah. so it is not like a right or wrong. It's a good mix of the two. And if you don't have the ability to mix the two on your own, I say like, said back to like teamwork, right? And if maybe the person not necessarily a partner or like actual team member, but at least like a group of people chatting and getting out there talking to people, start your own i think it's genius that you have your own podcast um i actually want my own podcast too solely for the reason that i want to talk to more people who i can learn something from but exactly. i think it's genius exactly. yeah exactly i mean and that's it if i just said hi would you like me can you, will you let me ask you questions for an hour people are like what are you nuts you know <laughs> you're not even gonna buy me lunch you know but <laughs> but they'll do a podcast you know mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. i get to ask the questions i want to hear the answers to and 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 also hopefully somebody else cares about that as well but exactly 
it's all about me, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> about my goals, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, like, there are there are enough people. No matter how like unique and individual, we're all unique and stuff. But there are enough people that care about some of the things we care about, right? No one's a carbon copy of you and cares about everything you care about. And out of all the questions you ask me, somebody only cares about four or five. The person cares about twelve of them, but they'll all listen to the podcast because of that and get some value out of it. So yeah. it's good. It's smart. So thank you very much. Lucky, it was such a pleasure meeting you. I'm really looking forward to buying you lunch in the very near future. And thank you, listener, for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking with Nick Allered, a wonderful guy who took his first five failed real estate deals and used them as motivation to build the real estate empire that he has today. So be sure to join us. And right now, before you forget, click subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Have an amazing, awesome, healthy week. <laughs>